You're listening to the Two Sleuth Podcast, all about the business of dentistry. Hosted by yours truly, Greg Essenmacher, a fixed full arch dental expert and founder of GNA Consult, speaking with industry leaders on the dental landscape from their perspective. Thanks everyone for joining me again. You know who I am, Greg Essenmacher, Two Sleuth Podcast. I am super excited. So I have on the show today, none other than Austin Hare. We've been trying to connect. And I mean, the great thing is that when he sent in his bio, a professional wakeboarder, then a real estate investor, not only that, but an American ninja warrior, like actually somebody who did that. Now you all know, well, most of you know, I think I've been on television before, but like, seriously, an American Ninja Warrior? Not even once, but I think twice. Anyway, we'll get into that. He's also the host of the Helping Healthcare Scale podcast. I think you did that on purpose, didn't you, Austin? Well done. Well done. A show that focuses on helping healthcare organizations grow by interviewing successful entrepreneurs and diving into actionable strategies. That's super exciting. Uh, leaders, real estate, he leads real estate, helps growth focused on DSOs, MSOs, find sites that helps position competition, but I'll let him tell you all about that. I'm just super excited to have you here, Austin. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Yeah, really excited to get chatting and dive in. All right. Well, I mean, I know my whole listening audience, I mean, they want to hear about like your business and all that, but got got to hear all the stories because the behind the scenes stuff, I know for myself, like uh, uh, Ask America is the the show that I was on. And that was like where they did everything virtually. And I had my little brother, big brothers, big sisters on with me. And he was cheering me on the background. And (laughs) I, you know, I had got every question right all the way through until like right before the final. And then somehow like their scoring system, I didn't make it into the final. I'm like, what kind of crap is that? But so, and the behind the scenes, like, I can't even tell you this setup. Like this was before the pandemic, like the setup in my office with lamps, with no shades. on. I mean, like it was pretty funny. Like if you could see the pictures. So give us a little behind the scenes of American Ninja Warrior. What is it really like? Not what we see on TV. Cause that's what my listening audience wants to hear. Mm, about. No, I, I love this. I love this question because it's just like, as a society, Instagram and social media have made us focus on the highlight reel and we don't ever acknowledge the behind the scenes. And so I think, you know, it's really led to a lot of mental health issues and a lot of discontentment. And so, you know, when I like that question, because we can kind of dive into it, it's like, you know, you look on TV and, you know, of course, like I'll I'll post it for social media, like me doing the clearing the course, hitting the buzzer, making it the finals, all that kind of stuff. Um, That's, you know, that's easy. That's the highlight reel. But what you don't see is like, you know, leading up to the, the filming. I mean, those, so first of all, it's done in California, which means we're three hours behind. And then it's done overnight because I'm on East Coast time. So we're filming between 11 p.m. and, and 5 a.m. West Coast time, right? So like I'm up all night. And so what does that mean for training? Well, we're, we go to the gym at like 11 or 12 at night and we stay there till like three or four in the morning, like the, the three weeks leading up to the show. And that's a huge sacrifice for somebody like me who has a real job. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of these guys are That's are insane. Like nobody would know that, right? Because they just see it on TV and, oh, wow, the great athletes, right? That's commitment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they, and you, look, they have great lighting, right? And they, you may or may not realize that it's outdoors, but they do it so that they can get consistent lighting so they don't have to worry about, you know, changing the lighting. They can change orders for everybody, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's all done outside and, and overnight. Well, there's exceptions, but I would say 90% of the time it's outside. And so, you know, it's a combination of like totally changing your sleep schedule. And then there's also the fact that we're on season 16. And so that means that an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old has known this sport almost their whole life, 
right? And so like that, and I, I got involved in it about three or four years ago and I'm 36. So like I get 32, right? I'm trying to essentially compete with 16 year olds who have done this for since they can walk. <laughs> and so, you know, they've got the age, a little bit of an age advantage and the weight advantage. And so it's like, um, every day when I'm going into the gym, I'm fortunate that I get to train with some of the best people in the entire world here in Orlando. Um, you know, we've got, there's a, there's a number of guys that made finals and, and do really well, but on the flip side, I'm like the worst one when we walk in there. And so it's like very humbling. And so like, you know, you don't see like all the other guys clearing all these things in practice and like getting these obstacles and me failing and me falling and me getting injured and all these types of things. Right. And so like, that's what goes on behind it. And so just, you know, to kind of maybe put a pin in this, um, the way that I was mentally able to kind of accept it and move on is like, okay, instead of comparing myself to others and where they're at, like they're ahead of me. So by the end of the training session, they're, they're probably still going to be ahead of me. Like that is okay. Like I'm going to choose to not let that matter because what I'm going to compare to is myself. So like if at the end of the day, if I can do something when I leave that I couldn't do when I got here, then that's a success. And I started focusing like on internally, like measuring, more like measuring my effort than it is measuring the, you know, the comparison to others. That's when I started getting a lot more contentment. So I don't know if that answers that question or not. Well, you know, it does. And you bring out such an important concept, such an important issue and concerns, right? You talked about the Instagram life and what people put out on social media and, and even myself, right? Building up my business and every and the journey that I've gone through and any listener of my podcast or any of my spots that I've been on any other podcast is the fact that, you know, when I was working in corporate America and climbing that chain, I would mask my true self just because I thought that's what others wanted me to be in order to fit in. And eventually it caused major distress in my life and almost a fracturing of who I was, what I thought professionally and who I am personally. And it just wasn't sustainable. And now building my own business, it's more about being authentic and being my authentic self and showing that in every aspect I possibly can. Now, you still want to put good pictures up on Instagram yeah. and LinkedIn both, and Facebook, right? right? You still want to put your best foot forward, but really being that authentic self and showing that to the world and people respond to that. Mm. And that's what you're talking about, that it the hard work that goes in and that, you know, and you see a lot of memes and you see a lot of people talking about it more and more of you may see the results, but seeing all the hard work that goes into it, right? I'm sure for you, like the days and days and weeks when you don't feel like going to the gym and working out, right? It's not so much like if I want to drop 15 pounds and get in a better shape, it's not like the, okay, I'm going to eat a salad for lunch. It's the every single decision along the way, right? And yeah. that's really... The critical piece is you see individuals who have reached the pinnacle of their careers, especially like in the DSO space. Well, where did they start, right? And what were the struggles along the way? And I love that we're talking about this. And now I want to transition right into business. You know, let's talk about how you have gone from a professional wakeboarder in, in your career. I mean, if that's what you're doing professionally and transition into the dental space, you know, how have you found your legs in this space and having people let's just let's just call it what it is right people taking you seriously and not saying that's austin oh you're an american ninja warrior to being serious about okay now find me some real estate that makes sense and taking you seriously professionally have you had that how does how does that play out for you 
Well, yeah, it's kind of funny because I, I actually was insecure about it when I first started. Like I kind of wanted to hide the fact that I spent all this time, you know, wakeboarding and traveling around the world and, and doing these things that were like, didn't necessarily tie directly into business. And so then I realized like, you know, it, I have a I have a story. That's my story, whether or not I'm worried about how it's perceived, like that's authentically who I am. And if I lean into like my true story without trying to sugarcoat it necessarily, like that actually is a conversation starter and that I can actually yield more results. And so, you know, the whole, and it might be helpful just to provide a quick story about how I, how I got involved in the whole thing was, um, you know, I, I being into being a professional wakeboarder, obviously when I was into health and fitness. So that kind of led to opening up some gyms and I was growing them by what you would call de novo. And then that's when I met my now partner when we were, he was helping me find new locations. And so, you know, in Orlando, I was kind of like, I don't know if anybody knows Orlando, but I was kind of like, all right, you know, I got to go to Winter Park for my next location. That's like the cool, sexy area. And I want to stay away from Kissimmee because those demographics are garbage. And he ran a detailed competition, you know, uh, demographic analysis and found out like, hey, Winter Park is super saturated. Rents are really high. There's a ton of competition and Kissimmee is wide open. And so I had no idea because you can't make good decisions without good data, right? And I was just going off gut feeling. So that was a huge lesson that I learned. Luckily, I ended up selling the gyms in 2019, like right before COVID, uh, sold that bullet. I mean, uh, dodged that bullet. And um, that's when he invited me to start working with him, you know, more full time on, on the real estate side. And I had been investing in residential, you know, while I was wakeboarding, doing Airbnbs and that sort of thing. But this led me to the commercial side of things. And so, you know, it was kind of like an under, I had learned an understanding of, of what did work and what didn't work in terms of site selection. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, it was really those real life experiences and being on both sides of the table that I, I think kind of helped me dive into it. And so, yeah, now, you know, I'm. I'm not afraid to tell that, that story. I enjoy telling it. And um, also, you know, just like the, we can use that to help people, whether it's like, whether it's us buying the real estate for them and then they're our tenant or whether it's us developing or whether it's just us running our, you know, analytics and, and helping them find a spot that outpositions the competition. Um, I, you know, that's kind of how they all tie together. Hi, everyone. Sorry for the interruption. Greg Essenmacher here, founder of GNA Consult. Just want to take a brief moment and let you know if you're a practice owner, founder, group administrator, or DSO regional manager trainer and looking to add, grow Full Arch for your location, improve same source sales, or learn more about what Full Arch can do for your production numbers and profitability, reach out to the show and book a discovery call today. Our expert team is here to help. Well, and one of the things that I love is whenever I hear people's story, right, you hear and like, I think you referenced it as you know, I like to tell my story, because it's a true story. And it's really about your authentic self and talking about that is your journey about I learned it because I needed to learn it. And you're talking about demographics, and you're talking about metrics that supporting the passion, right? It's good to have a gut instinct. It's good to trust your, your, your gut, right? And what you feel. But then it's, so essential to have the metrics to back it up. And so in the full arch space where I live, grow and breathe, and my listening audience knows that it's great to be able to say, yes, absolutely. I feel that we are getting good results from X platform or Y platform or Z platform, but to also then look at the source and where are we getting patients from and how are we converting them? And what does it look like on that end? If we have the demographics, if we have the metrics to prove that out, um, and we can prove that out with where the top line revenue is coming in and how we're result. Then, then that really, that's great. But if the two don't align, and I just went through this process with one of my clients, they weren't aligning. 
And mm. so it, you can feel all day, but if it isn't hitting the bottom line of your P&L statement or your <laughs> profitability and cash flow, then it's really just a feeling and feelings aren't facts, right? So I, I love that you mm -hmm. point that out for sure. And, yeah, and I think you, it's, you, it's just yeah, hard. Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think, I think it's hard, right? Like that's the, you're doing the things people don't wanna do because a feeling is kind of easy. It's like, you don't have to measure data, intake data, write it down, put it in a spreadsheet, look at the output. It's like- okay, I feel a certain way. So let's just act on this and kind of hope for the best. And so that's, you know, the reason why I think you, people can receive or achieve outsized results is because they're willing to do things that a lot of people just aren't willing to do. <laughs> well, and a lot of the founders that I work with, they have gone on instinct and they have been very successful on risk-taking and doing these types of things along the way. And so they mm. go with what they know. And they've been successful along the way, but then partnering with individuals who can help them with additional data sets as they go to build and grow, especially with the emerging groups that I work with, critically important to bring, you know, SME subject matter experts and say, okay, now help me to accelerate that growth to get better at what I do. And I love that what you said of whether you're purchasing the real estate and them, you know, renting it from you, in essence, I think is what I heard you say, or whether you're helping them to find and buy the real estate with the demographic outlook that they're looking for. So critically important to give them the options of how can we help you meeting the clinicians, meeting the founders where they're at, whether in DSOs and MSOs. Uh, and the EIEIOs, there's so many acronyms out there right now in this space, yeah. you know, pick one and somebody, and don't worry if that acronym isn't taken, it will be soon, they'll create it. And, and I love that. So tell me a little bit about what that partnership relationship looks like of, you know, the discovery that you have with uh, clinicians or with groups, and then what that journey looks like um, for my listening audience, if they are at that place, or if they're in, in the place, or if they're going to potentially be in that place in the near future, because I think that could be helpful. Sure. Yeah, would love to, you know, so we always start with how can we help? And so you can either want to only buy the real estate as a, as a clinician or, you know, a DSO, you can specifically not want to buy the real estate. And at the end of the day, we're happy to help with both. Um, you know, there's kind of really three scenarios that I'll, that'll play out. One of them would be, you know, you're just, you're growing by uh, DeNovo and you want to find your first or next location or whatever. You know, that's going to be, we're just going to run the analysis and try and figure out like, where can we stack the deck in your favor and outposition the competition? And that's done by doing, using a lot of grocery anchor data from these subscription services that, that we have and we subscribe to and figuring out like where are your patients already going, right? And so now the next question is like, okay, do you want to buy or rent? And we kind of advocate for being agnostic in that sense, meaning like go where the best location is. And if you got to buy, buy, if you got to rent, rent. And then to like another um, scenario is like you specifically don't want to buy because you want to keep your powder dry so that you can continue to grow and expand, which is, I get it, right? Because that's how you make your money and that's probably the best use of your capital. But the only thing that makes sense is for sale, right? So what do you do? Well, that's where we would love to you know, partner and, and purchase real estate. Um, and then another strategy that we're using it right now is like, you know, there's a difference between when you find a great spot that there's already an existing building, like maybe it's an old bank, uh, bank building that we redevelop or repurpose versus like an empty pad of land. And the empty pad of land, pad of land is difficult right now because uh, inflation, you know, has created increased cost of land, increased cost of capital, increased cost of supplies, increased cost of labor. And so when you are doing a like new construction development, especially for a single tenant unit, I mean, rents can be sky high. So one of the strategies that we're utilizing is we'll take on 
more space than is needed by, you know, the partner that we're the healthcare DSO, you know, dental partner that we're working with. And then we'll take kind of take on that risk. Like we might bring on Starbucks or Chipotle or, you know, any AutoZone in, in one situation. So there's a number of tenants that we bring in, they're paying the retail rents. And then we can help drop the rent of the healthcare user that we're using by building out a little bit more than is needed. Yeah, I, I love it that it's a multifaceted strategy. It's not like a square peg, square hole, right? Or round peg, round hole. And you're you're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's the philosophy that I've always used for the 17 years that I've been in dental. And it is meet the clinician where they're at. Meet the client where they're at, right? Just like in Full Arch, it's about the motivation. It's the why behind the what. It's not so much the product. It's the meet the patient where they're at. And if you do that and you spend the time during the discovery and learning more about their needs and you have something where you meet them where they're at, what makes the most sense, which is ultimately finding, sounds like what I'm hearing from you is find that location and then find the relationship with that location um, and put the deal together, which makes the most sense. And it sounds like you have a team put together that can make that happen. Do I have that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, an example would be like you're you want to go maybe you have a couple locations um in let's just call it like uh houston and you want to expand to dallas right it's like okay where do we go exactly in like i know houston but i don't know exactly where to go in dallas or san antonio or even maybe maybe it's phoenix right it's like in kind of a newer area so we you know you might identify like maybe we want to go like we, we identify certain metrics like who's your client right are they more like medicare medicaid or are they more affluent okay well then that's going to decide which trade areas we go to and now we can focus on like all right of this trade area where are the clients already going like where do we have the highest population density of your ideal clients and the least amount of the competition and that's just done using the analytics so i don't know if that answers your question yeah it, it does for sure it's it's about helping a client being of service to the client and then matching what their needs are with the, the product that you're able to ascertain from where the market is. And, and you pointed out earlier too, right? Just because that there is a crunch on money, right? That money's more expensive than it was two years ago, a year ago, six months ago. And, and it's the same, right? So patients that are coming in for 20, 30, 50, $60,000 treatments, you know, in the full art space doesn't mean that they're saying no. It just means that you need to build more value in what you're offering to the marketplace. Right. You have to have your systems in place. You have to be focused on your team and invest in your team members to be able to express what it is that you're offering and help them to understand this is a long term investment. And what are some of the options? Maybe it's short term this, long term this. Maybe it's leveraging certain um, levers in the market financially that makes more sense for them. Um, and being able to move that and money's always going to be a smokescreen. Now, there's always going to be some on, on the far end of one side where, no, it's just not financially feasible. And there's going to be some on the far other end that, you know, money's just it, it, it's not as much of a concern, but it's the big middle that you're trying to move. And if you can shift it a little bit, then it makes sense. And so it sounds like that's what you're talking about, too, whether it's buy, lease, rent you know, empty pad, you know, maybe it does make sense to build something out. And if it does, maybe it's take more, uh, you know, real estate, take more of an imprint than you would, and then make sense to, you know, put some other clients in there too. So yeah, I appreciate I, all this it's been helpful, please. Yeah. 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 We, you know, I, I, I do see a lot of times people get hung up on owning the real estate and I'll just give you an example to drive it home. Um, we were looking, working with a group locally in Orlando where they wanted to, you know, buy and build out their own spot. And they're looking at this area of town that was close to them that they liked. 
And at the end of the day, the um, there were some vacancies like on that corridor that were like renting for 20, 25 bucks a square foot. And by the time we were going to buy some land, you know, the, the only thing that was available, demolish an old building, rebuild it up. By the time you factor in like the cost of the land and then you're building a single freestanding building, which is always the most expensive. And then all the cost of everything. I mean, you know, the the effect of rent they would pay or like that they would need to, if for some reason they left the building and fill it was going to be 35, 37 bucks a square foot, right? And you compare that to, well, there's something down the street for like 22, 25, like that's a massive delta. And so the takeaway is, look, you you want to own real estate. Okay, I get it. Like if you want, if, if you're trying to own this building, it's going to, that you rent, I mean, that you occupy, it's going to cost you more. Like why not rent the place that's cheaper take the extra money that you have now left over from not building it and invest in like another project somewhere, right? Like it could be residential or commercial or whatever. Like I bet you, you'll find if you do those two comparisons, your your spreadsheet ROI is going to be a lot higher by renting the cheaper place, which still, by the way, is a great location. Like it wasn't like we were compromising on the visibility or anything like that, but you take that cheaper rent and then you invest the Delta in a different uncorrelated project. And you're probably going to get a higher return using that route. So, yeah, you know, so helping, helping them think a little different. Yeah, helping them think, helping them think differently, helping them with more options. I, I love that, and that's super helpful. All right, Austin, this is the point of the program. All of my guests play, and I think we're on episode fifty. So, all fifty of my guests on the Two Sleuth podcast has played, and it's called "What the Sleuth is Going On." So, it's three <laughs> rapid fire questions. First thing that comes to mind: Are you ready to play? Yeah, I love it. All right. Question number one. What's the worst bad breath you've ever encountered? Oh man, um, honestly, it was when I we know when your I had past. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, this is bad. But when I had the gyms, uh, we, you know, I had sales guys doing sales for me with members, and it was one of my sales guys, and he had the absolute worst breath. And I just remember thinking, like, you are not going to be able to close any clients. <laughs> they can't stand to get within two feet of you and so we got to fix this problem and um <laughs> yeah it was very it was awkward uh but yeah that was like that was the worst worst breath that i can i can like that just stands out to me because it was like you know it was bad and then it was also it was emotionally bad and then it was logically <laughs> bad off the business <laughs> tough to have that conversation for too too many protein shakes too many protein Something. bars not, a, not, yeah, not enough brushing or flossing oral and, you know. hygiene yeah see and <laughs> Here you are, you ended up in dental. It, it was meant to be. All right, good. Question number two. If you could change one thing about your smile, what would it be? That's a good question. You know, I um, I had braces like a long time ago and uh, and they did, a, you know, they did a great job, but I still feel like they could be more straight. <laughs> like I said, like, and, I, and then I grinded my teeth too. Like on the video, you can see, I used to have canines. Now they're totally flat because I grinded my teeth. But I guess it would just be like, yeah, having having like a straight, you know, perfectly straight uh, teeth across. I think I think beautiful I think beautiful teeth or beautiful smiles are beautiful for sure. Yeah. All right. I like it too. All right. Okay. I like it. Question number three: If you could go back and be the inventor of any dental product, which one would you choose and why? Ooh. Um. Any dental products? Oh gosh. This is honestly not an area that I'm like super well versed in, but I mean, I would think that something just along the full arch replacement, um, you know, 
it just seems like a it's it's profitable and, and b you know that's a mat like when people come like historically people lose their teeth and they lose their smile and then you lose like your whole confidence right and like now you're older and like, you don't have that smile you're missing teeth and like we can come in and get those restored like it just seems like that is like now they can eat better i mean they're everything their whole quality of life is changed you know from your appearance to your digestive system when you can like replace your entire teeth all right, Austin, even if you're pandering to the host, I will absolutely agree with you. I'll take that answer. Well done. No, it, it's true, though. That patient reveal, when they do get their brand new smile, especially if they haven't smiled in family photos or whatever the case would be for many, many, many years, it, it can be life changing. It, it really is. It's what it's what really drew me to the industry over 10 years ago at seeing one of those patient reveals. So mm. I agree with you. Absolutely. All right. Mm. In the last few minutes, my friend. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with the listening audience that, you know, you just, it's, it's on your mind and you've got to share. Sure. So please, is there anything else? Yeah. Um, you know, I would just maybe uh, hammer home the importance of having like passive income. You know, um, you guys, I assume most of the audience is, is dentists, you know, chair side working every day and you're making money based on what you can output with your hands, right? You're exchanging time for dollars. And so that's great. And the hourly rate I'm sure is like, very high. But in addition to that, it's like, you got to make sure that your money is working for you. Right. And so whether that's with us or a residential project or whatever, like, you know, I think some people confuse I'll buy Airbnb, right. As passive income, like you're buying a hospitality business. I mean, you can buy rent like small residential units, but as a landlord, at the end of the day, you know, you're 90% passive, but there's always a little bit of management. And so like, unless you're really buying like a public REIT or, you know, something like where other people are like kind of spearheading, the project, like there's going to be some responsibility on you. So I would just stress to people like, hey, make sure that your money is working for you. Put it in projects that have good returns. I mean, you can get really high 15, 20, 25%, you know, ROIs or IRRs as, as we like to call it um, annually. And so, yeah, just like when you're investing that because you don't know what's going to happen, you know what's going to happen in the future. And it's just a way to compound your wealth faster. So I would say make sure, yeah, make sure you're finding investments. It doesn't have to be the buildings that you own, right? It doesn't have to be um, things that you're specifically involved in, but like, make sure you're using that money. You're doing your due diligence. You're finding good operators or whatever, and put your money to work for you so that you can have a really, really comfortable future. Yeah, I love it. And not only listening audience being dentists, but also those in the manufacturing field and others that are listening, you know, having passive income, diversifying investments, making sure that you're doing right by your money that you work really hard for, I think is critically important. I know that I am learning. I won't say I have learned. I am learning every day uh, those lessons. And I think that's really wise advice. I appreciate you sharing that as well. Well, Austin, how do people get a hold of you if they want to get uh, in touch with you, learn more about what you do, um, and just maybe share and swap stories or harass you about uh, your performance <laughs> on uh, American Ninja Warrior? Yeah, no worries. Um, I'll give you two ref two two places to get in touch. Number one is LinkedIn. So just LinkedIn forward slash Austin Hare. Uh, I try to be pretty active on there. And then my email is a hair. So my first name a last name is Hare, just like on your head at leadersre.com. The re as in real estate. So a hair at leadersre.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure all that gets in the show notes. Thank you so much, Austin Hare, my guest today. You've been fantastic, and I know you've shared some really good pearls of information. Thank you so much. It's been great Thanks. having you on the Two Sleuth Podcast. Thanks for having me. Be sure to tune in to our next episode of the Tooth Sleuth Podcast. If you need help with converting lead calls into consults, closing consults into more full arch cases, or creating a more strategic marketing message and branding for your practice or group, 
follow me for more tips, or reach out to GNA Consult for a discovery call today.